I want to share with you a story that I saw this week that was shared with me, a story that happened in Israel, and it's on Chabad.org, and it really inspired me. I thought, okay, this is a good way to start this week. So this is a wedding that just happened uh, that you can't see, printed in black and white, uh, of a couple called Elisha and Nomi Schlesinger. Sounds Jewish to you? So they live, they live um, in Israel. And this guy, Elisha, is 28 years old, and he was traveling to his family in the north of Israel. They were on vacation, and he went up to north uh, of Israel, and he was driving there. And he kept prolonging the fact that he needed to refuel his car. It's a three-hour drive. He was going up north, three-hour drive. And uh, an hour before he arrives at his spot, he sees that, okay, I've got to just stop. He stops at a gas station, and this guy, Elisha, uh, is um, filling up his gas in his car. He knows he sees he's three hours till Shabbat, and it's only an hour left of driving. Everything's great. He fills his car. And as he's about to get out, he sees a lady that's distressed. She's under a lot of stress, and he sees that something's wrong. She's got kids in the back, and she's nervous. So he asks her what's going on, and she says to him... Uh, I don't know what to do, my car, I filled it with diesel. And uh, it's, the car now won't work, and uh, I need to get professional help till the professional help comes. It's not gonna happen, it's gonna take time, and I need to get all the way down back to the south of Israel. So uh, this guy, Alicia, says, no problem, I know exactly, you need, you've got three hours, you've got enough time here, take my keys, this is my car and uh, just go, just take my car. I just filled up the gas. She's like, what, you crazy? It's like, no problem. After Shabbat, we'll be in touch, take my number. After Shabbat, and now come and get my car back. <laughs> but you go with your family. So that's exactly what she does. She puts her kids in, she's shocked. She puts the kids in his car, takes the keys and takes it all the way down south and is amazed. After Shabbat, she, gets, she has his number, she calls Alicia. And she tells him, you are incredible. I need to speak to your mom. She speaks to his mom. And uh, she, his mom, uh, she says, I've never heard of someone so kind and generous and so special. I don't know what you do. Uh, what is your secret? You know, it's mom talk. And, uh, and she's like, uh, yeah, no, that, part, that part I added. That part I added. So anyway, so uh, basically uh, the story is that she says, what can I do for you? This lady, she says, what can I do for your family? Is there anything I can do? She says, there's nothing you can do, but my son Alicia would like to get married at some point. So if you have a nice girl. So she says, okay, I'll help him. And she posts on her Facebook. Here's how Facebook comes to use finally. She posts, she posts on her Facebook uh, the whole story. And then she says, this guy deserves someone really special. And uh, the post gets kind of viral. And she gets one of the first people that, that was suggested on the post tagged, you know, they tagged her name, was this girl called, girl called Naomi. And uh, she sets them up, Naomi with Alicia. She says, hey, there's this great girl. She's around your same age. You guys should go out. They go out and they get married. And uh, this is the picture of their wedding that just just happened recently. So um, I'll let you see this afterwards. But it's an amazing story. 
and it tells me a few things. Number one, the greatness of the... Well, first of all, it's, it just gives you a feel of what Israel's all about, you know? It's like a little Israel taster. Um, but what it talks to me, what talks to me so much about this story is, is a number of things. First of all, the trust. It, the greatness is not just in the guy, it's also in the person that he's standing in front of. Because he had a certain sense of trust in her that he could just trust her with his car, you know? So in my eyes, that's a beautiful thing. So um, that's, uh, that's one of the things that I see that is beautiful. Also, just this guy, uh, amazing. So I, I think that also what's amazing is that when you give, so you think, okay, what am I doing? I'm losing or in some way. But from our perspective, la brute. From our perspective, <laughs> Uh, we, I was getting nervous. So from our perspective, we care. We see that in a Jewish world, in, in the way that we look at things from a spiritual lens, when you give, you don't lose, you actually gain. And there's like a real trust in that. There's a belief in that within our people, that when we give, we don't lose, we gain. It's like almost crazy. It's, it's the exact opposite of what you would think. You would think by giving, you lose money. But really, when giving, something, there's an energy that comes back your way and, and you gain from it. So that's, that's really the beauty of this story. And I wanted to... There's no such thing as altruism. Huh? So there's no such thing as altruism. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's... Uh, that's uh, yeah, but whatever. So, uh, another time. But look, what I see in this story is that you definitely don't lose by giving. And um, this guy is a, a perfect example of that. Okay, so we are studying something which is kind of on the lines of this discussion. And I want to get into it and touch on some very nice ideas. We are weekly studying Pekei Avot. So I'm not sure if you know about Pekei Avot, but it's a great book. It needs to be studied and learned and thought about and ask lots of questions on it. But uh, uh, Let's, let's go through some of the Pekevot that we've been studying till now. We're in the second chapter, I'm in the section number 11. And he says like this, and, I, and before I say it, I want to ask, what is it besides for biologically, okay, biologically there are in our genes, uh, in our body, there's cells which are told to age. We actually, from the day that we're born, conceived, there are cells called the aging cells, which actually tells my body to age, which is very, very interesting. But besides for biologically, what is it that makes us age? Meaning from a spiritual perspective, we age because of the food we eat, right? That can have an effect on our, on our health and therefore um, make us age a little bit more every time that we Free eat radicals. the wrong thing. Huh? Free radicals. What do you mean? Like vitamin C or the right. antioxidant to... Yes. The By the way, from a Jewish perspective, um, it says that what was the sin of Adam? Food. Okay, it was, it was with food that he made the mistake with. And it was because of that he was told that death will be introduced to you. Meaning that before he... Whatever it was, but according to Jewish teaching... 
before he ate from that tree, he, yes, he was able to eat perfectly. The food that he was eating was perfect, meaning that according to our tradition, if we were able to eat exactly the right nutrition at the right times, we would have a much longer living span. When we, if we would know exactly what nutrition our body needs at every second, uh, exactly when and when not to eat and what to avoid, but we are very confused in terms of uh, what we, you know, sometimes people go on the protein craze and then they go on the keto craze, you know, so we all know that too much of anything is not good for us. And then some people are scooping powders, you know, and you know, feel the gains. So there's, there's, there's a lot of this mentality of, okay, this works, so let's take a lot of that. But actually, everybody's different. Uh, everybody needs a different amount. And if it was measured in the correct way, we'd be able to live much longer. That's, that's actually one of our uh, traditional uh, teachings written by a uh, great teacher, the Chovot HaLevavot. Anyway, but, uh, so what, what is it that makes us age from a spiritual perspective? Physically, biologically, we know there are things that make us age that's not in our control. But there are things that make us age a little bit more every time. And I say this all the time. You can go to the gym. You'll see a guy who's healthy, or look, at least looks healthy, or a girl that looks healthy on the outside. You know, the six-pack is there, or whatever it is, and the muscles are there, and you're like, wow, this guy looks so healthy. But inside, they could be very unhealthy. You know, it doesn't necessarily... The external is not necessarily an indicator of the internal. Uh, we can have some, somebody who has a great looking body and mentally they're just not stable. You know? So there are other aspects of life than just how we, how we are perceived on the outside. We forget that sometimes. But it's not just about how people look at us from the outside. It's also how we really are on the inside. In fact, we believe much more is it about how you are on the inside than how you look on the outside. You know, it's a six pack and then the guy after the gym, he's going out for a bunch of smokes, you know. It's kind of a, it's kind of a contradiction, it's a paradox. But that's how we are as humans anyway. We, it's like right now there's a war going on and you see whilst the war's going on, people are wearing masks, you know. Like, I don't, you, care about, you care about life so much that you believe that everyone should be wearing masks because we might be getting sick and we, should, we might be spreading COVID, but then you're also shooting people. Yeah, that's kind of a paradox. So it's just something to think about how, you know, uh, we, we, are, we live a very confusing life sometimes. In some ways, we're very strong about some things, and then in other ways, we'll say, okay, that doesn't matter. It's like a person who's, uh, who has pizza and then says, hey, can you give me Diet Coke? You know, it's like, hello, what? You're eating, eating that thick cheese pizza? Uh, kosher one, right? So, uh, you, so, and then you're having that Diet Coke. Okay, that makes you feel a little better, you know, but it doesn't mean that it is better. So, externalities doesn't necessarily indicate what's going on inside, true? So, what is it that makes us age Spirit, from a spiritual perspective? What is it that makes us become old? Things, sorry? Trauma. Trauma. What kind of trauma? Okay, something that externally happens to you. I would say that that can, trauma might not even be something within your control. It's, yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be external, it could also be internal. It could be, it could come from a type of abuse, meaning 
emotional, you know. For sure. I mean, there could be types of physical abuse that relate to the emotional abuse, but, you know, I think the uh, majority of the trauma that comes with a lot of people growing up too quickly is being able to take on the responsibility and trying to move forward with accepting that trauma that they just endured. Okay, dealing with trauma is a very good example of something that can make us mentally challenged and age, yes, if we're not able to deal with it correctly. Yeah. yeah. I would say cynicism. Cyn okay, yes. Well, we're getting somewhere. Yes. Cynicism is definitely uh, something that can make us feel not good and, and therefore slowly eat ourselves up, you know, eat ourselves away. Uh, yeah. Anyone else? Yeah. I think the genes, like being done as new, after a while. Okay, getting used to the same old, same old. You're like, okay, what the heck's the point of this life anyway? And, you know, you start aging from it, okay? Not finding meaning in your daily routine. Yeah. Yeah. This is kind of a cop-out answer, but time. But let me explain. Okay, um, time. Time, because... Not just with the passage of time, do we age and do we live, because that is just how relativity works, but the experiences Beautiful. you gain, the fact that over time you will have routine, you will experience trauma, you will see what cynicism is, you will learn how to overcome it, you will heal, you will become the person that you were either meant to be or are trying to be mm -hmm. time. Right, so it's interesting because time can heal, but time also allows... The idea of aging, like you're saying, so yeah, that is true. I, I would say that you know there are people that come from very affluent, very successful, very uh, ideal homes that we all would want to be from, and yet, and they don't have trauma, and yet in those places, sometimes with all their wealth and comfort, they can be. Uh, in challenge mentally, it's very interesting that that happens. It, that. Right, so there's something outside of trauma that could also cause us to age. Right, uh, right. The, my need, I'm not feeling fulfilled. Fulfillment is a very important thing. Also, in my work, to in order to overcome that routine, to feel that I'm fulfilled in what I'm doing, appreciated for what I'm doing, which ties into cynicism. It's also very important. Okay, I want to say to you, these are all very, very important points. And I want, to, I want to go into the three underlying points that they bring here in the name of Rabbi Yeshua in this Mishnah, in the second chapter, number 11. Okay, he says like this. Rabbi Yeshua says, Ainara, a bad eye. It's close to cynicism, we'll see what that means. And a Yetzehara, the inclination to do bad, and hatred, hatred of all creations, is what takes a person out of this world. Again, Aina, a bad eye, we'll discuss what that means. Yetzara, a bad inclination, the inclination in me that says, eh, do something which I don't really want to do, like sleep in. Laziness is an example of a bad inclination. Okay, the, the, there are things that we have in us that are good, but then we also have inclinations to do bad. We could talk about that too, because I've had a discussion with somebody just this week who says, I don't think anyone has an inclination to do good or bad, 
we don't have free will. If you do good, it's because something inside you told you to do it. And if you do bad, there's something inside you or uh, conditioning that you've had which told you to do it. It's the question of free will. That's another whole discussion. I've given a class on that in the past. But he says, inclination to do bad and hatred for others is what takes us out of this world. So I want to talk about these three things. Now, when it says Aynara, it does not mean like, you know, the Khamsa that we have, that people put, that's actually not so much a, uh, a Jewish tradition as much. It's become a thing. And because of the concept of Aynara, it's like a hand stopping the eye. It's got an eye in it. Um, and that is this idea. That this is, that's not what we're talking about here. But there is a Talmud like this. It says like this in the Talmud, in Psachim, in the Talmud, the Tractate of Passover, which is coming up. It says like this. A person should not stand at a field of his friend at the time that it's just before harvest. So, you know, when the field's really thriving and it's growing, blossoming, everything's coming out. And this guy owns this field. If you're walking past, don't just stand there watching it. Don't watch it. Because there's a certain radiation that your eyes can give. And that can ruin his field just by looking at it. So you could say, oh, very nice. You know, it looks beautiful. Or give somebody a compliment, of course. But when someone is at his height, so what happens is we look and we say, oh, wow, he's going to make a lot of money this year. Ooh, business is going well for this person. And we're told that we should avoid looking at him at that moment because we'll cause what we call an ayinara, an evil eye, even if I'm not jealous of him. Just by looking, there's a certain energy that I'm putting on it. And that's not a good energy. It says in the Talmud, even though there's such a thing, a person shouldn't be filled with anxiety of Ainara. It says, Kol de kapid, kapid Those that are worried about it, then it can affect them. And if you're not worried about it, it won't affect you. However, we should be suspicious of it. It's very confusing. He says, those that are worried about it, it can affect them. If you're not worried about it, it won't affect you. But you should be suspicious of it. Meaning that if you, uh, let's say, are doing very well and you already have three beautiful cars and you decide to buy another one or change one for another, at that moment, you already are a person that's living in that kind of trajectory, in that path. So if somebody sees you, it doesn't, it's not going to have as much of an effect as somebody, let's say, who wins the lottery. And all of a sudden, the money comes flying in his account. And all of a sudden, beautiful house, a gorgeous car. Whoa, it's going to cause everyone to look. And that energy of people looking is what we call Aynara. So all of that stuff, our rabbis say that if you're worried about it, it can affect you. If you're not worried about it, it, it won't affect you. Why? Because... I'm here in this world, I'm here to live, and if God wants me to be successful, then I will be. And if he, I'm here to do well. And doesn't God want me to do well? So why should I be worried? And if somebody's not worried, it won't affect him, because I'm do, what am I doing wrong? But what, when it does get dangerous is when we're doing things that are not right with the things that we have. 
for instance, standing next to people that are very poor and uh, being seen as someone who's flashing or overflashing when you're in a surrounding where people in, a, in that situation are suffering. And here you come with your gorgeous uh, mansion and car. So it causes that eye to be looking at you. So those are certain times. There are certain times where a person needs to judge and think. Like it says with Jacob, there was a famine in Israel and his sons were with him. And they had a beautiful uh, field and cattle. They had a lot. Of, they were not worried. But the country that they were living in, which was Canaan at the time, Canaan, Eretz Canaan, the country that they were living in, there was a famine. They weren't worried. They stocked up. They had a lot of stuff. They had a lot of animals. They had a lot of flock. They had a lot of food. Jacob's family was fine. But in the land that they were living, there was a lot. Everyone was starving. So what did Jacob say? He says to his sons, Lama titrao. It's not good that we should be seen as different. It's not good when everyone's suffering that we're seen with all this success. So they, what they did was they went with everyone else to Egypt and they bought food just like everyone else did, even though they had. So that they shouldn't be feeling or seen, they shouldn't be looked at in any way as different. It's a, it's a wisdom to have, to not cause people to look at you for irrelevant reasons or for things that are not going to benefit you. And they are, those eyes can be uh, uh, somewhat damaging. Okay, so, but it, again, it says that somebody who is not concerned about it, it doesn't affect it. But that's not what it's talking about here. When he says, it's talking about somebody who has a narrow eye, which means that you can't see the success of somebody else. That's what it's talking about here. Ayin arayz comes from the word sarat ayin. It's, you, your eye hurts when you see somebody else who's successful. Let's say you buy a house and you have a job and you're making an income. And finally you get a house. Oh, would you be happy? Of course, you live in it. You make it look nice. It looks beautiful. It's one floor, beautiful house. All of a sudden, opposite you, on the other side of the street, someone knocks down a built, someone knocks down two houses, and he's doing construction over there. And you're like, "Wow, who is this?" And he suddenly he's building three stories, beautiful pool. And you're watching the whole process because you live opposite. Every day you see the pool being built, you see the three-story building. Wow! And you're looking from across. Who is this guy? That's the audacity to uh, build a nicer house than me. <laughs> Who is it? And you not only do you find out who it is, it's your friend that you grew up with in school. He was way below you in, in the grades that you got. You were way smarter than him and way more successful. And he is your friend from school that opposite the road bought that lot and is building that mansion. Somebody with sarat ayin, somebody with the ayin inside himself, with a bad eye, Suddenly, he had a beautiful house. He has a nice house. He has a nice car. A job. He, many people don't have that. But because of Tzarat Ayin, because of that narrow eye looking at the other side of the street, the house that he has now starts becoming worthless. I'm taken over almost by the vision of somebody else's success 
to a point where my success is irrelevant. This, by the way, is the great danger of social media. I'm a big fan of social media. Aishlitz all over it. Okay, we are all over social media. That's how most people are here today. But the big, one of the big dangers, one second, is that I'm allowing myself to see what appears to be even. Sometimes it's not, and it's not. But it appears to be the success of everybody else. And it slowly bites away my success that I've been given in my life, my health, my family, all the good things that happened to me starts getting chewed away at. And what happens is I forget the good I have and that starts eating at me. And slowly, that's one of the things it says throughout my lifetime, the effect of my social uh, uh, surrounding has an effect on my life as I live right now, how I feel about myself. And that, in a way, is one of the things that causes a person to leave the world. Even whilst he's living, it makes him leave the world. Because the world that he's in, or she's in, is not, what, is not relevant. Because that person's house is what's mattering to me right now. And, and, and my success is irrelevant. Yeah, were you going to ask something? I was going to say, is that like jealousy in a sense? It is a, is a type of jealousy. It's a type of jealousy? Or, yes, or it's jealousy. Exactly. So. Exactly. It's a jealousy, and and you should know, jealousy is a is a is a trait. It's a personality that you have. Ayin hara, having a tzarat ayin, a bad eye on someone, is the act of doing it. Right. right? It's the act of jealousy. You know, I am jealous, but how is that happening? It's shown in the way that I have a painful eye. I can't bear to look at the success of someone else. It hurts me to see their success. So the question is, how do we fix that? Because that's something that happens to us throughout our lifetime. You can have a lot and it could be worthless because of someone else that's similar in a similar life to you. And it bothers you that their success is so much better than yours. It can happen, by the way, in a relationship. In a relationship, it can happen also, where you see the success of the other side and it bothers you. So how do we get into a relationship and be happy for the success of the other? Well, that's called the tovayin, right? Have a good eye. We've been speaking a lot about tovayin, ayin ra'a, having a good eye at people versus having a bad eye at people or what we call tzarat ayin. And how, the question is, how do you have a good eye? That's the question. So I wrote down a number of points. Anyone think of ways that we can improve this uh, illness, let's say, that affects us and eats us away throughout our lifetime? By the way, it's very subtle and very subconscious throughout our lifetime. But it happens, it goes in, it, it eats at us. And the question is, how can we fight this, um, this battle? Yes. Anyone, go, go for it. Uh, so whoever wants. Yeah. Gratitude. Gratitude. Being thankful for what you have in your life. So that even though the person opposite the road, right, is successful, it doesn't bother me. I'm happy for what I have and I'm, I'm grateful. And that's, that's important. Yes. Anyone else? Yeah. Just focus on yourself. Okay. Focus on yourself. Stop looking at them. 
right? Self-growth, self-happiness, self-success. Right, that's what she's saying, right? You're saying security. Right, 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 insecurity. So that's what you're saying. Make yourself more secure with who you are so that you can... Good, that's a good one, yeah. What did, he say? what did she say? What did she say? Okay, yeah. It's very important. Yes? 100%. Not at all. It says, Shlomo Amelech said, If you have pain in your heart, if you have any form of anguish, you have to speak it out. A therapist is there to listen. I don't know which therapist you go to or anyone goes to, but if they're not listening and they're talking, you run away. That's it. You need them to listen. Yeah. That's why I will never be a good therapist. I just talk. Yeah. Acceptance. Okay. Acceptance. Acceptance. Uh, accepting their situation. Well, multiple things. Okay. First, accepting their situation. And second, accepting the fact that you may feel this way and that this is something that you need to deal with but trying to make sure that you never feel this way and pushing the feelings away makes it grow worse yes that's very true em embrace the feeling and channel it or like deal with it but don't don't kind of suppress it away inside of you it's very important also we're going to speak about that in the next mm -hmm. thing which is uh, that judaism never says uh suppress a certain feeling you need to channel it for the right way we're, we're not into suppressing who we are and hiding our, our energies but sometimes our energies are not so good so we've got to channel them and train them for the right path but that's that's really the yeah I also beautiful i'll give you an example just this week um you know it's a lot for us with kids and running around and so sometimes i'm like oh this is you know i'm so tired like i want to sleep two o'clock in the morning someone's crying <laughs> so um, and then this week, I was thinking about what's happening, like seeing all these pictures of people in Ukraine where they had to send their kids away on trains. And it, it's just so, it, I, I can't even, yeah, as a father uh, and Shira as a mother, like we've been talking about it. It's just, how can I ever complain ever again? You know, it's, it's, so that's, that's a perfect example of, um, you know, like how can we complain with our little problems? When there are such greater problems out there. So there is a beautiful, um, it's not that I'm taking advantage. People sure. get. Uh, sure. That's what I was thinking about. No, I'm not saying you are. I'm not taking I'm, advantage. I'm to think about it is kind of like finding comfort in people's suffering. But that, that's the thing. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not happy with his suffering. The opposite. No, you're not, right. It's, but you it's, take advantage of it also. No, it's through the pain of their suffering and caring about their suffering. I am looking at my life and saying to myself, I can't, physically, I can't help them right now. But those people, if they were watching me, they'll be like, what the heck is wrong with you? Mm -hmm. Why are you complaining? Mm -hmm. You have everything with you right now. Why are you, these problems are small. They would want me to celebrate my, my life because that's what they're trying to achieve. So it's not the opposite. I'm in pain for them, but it's because I'm in pain for them that I'm able to recognize where I'm... There's more to think about, you know. It, actually, from a Jewish perspective, if we believe that there's divine providence, everything you see is for a reason. So if you're walking down the street and suddenly, exactly the hour that you're walking, 
there was a, a group of special needs that are walking past you. That's a lesson for you. That is meant to be a lesson for you. Or if you see somebody who's blind, God forbid, and he's walking with a stick and he's trying to cross the road and he has to go like this. Why did you see him at specifically that hour, that minute? Five minutes ago, you were thinking not to walk. You were thinking to actually take the car. And then you decided you'll walk. And within those five minutes, exactly that minute, you stood at the, at the traffic light and that person, everything's a coincidence. It's, it's not a coincidence. <laughs> Everything happens for a reason. And you're now standing at that traffic light and you're seeing somebody who's unable to see. That is a lesson for me. Although there are, we are realistic with the reality of the world. There are people that are misfortunate, they're unfortunate. They're, there are people that are suffering. And they themselves have another whole perspective of how they can look at life. But for us, that should empower us to use the things that we have for the better because I am in pain for them. Because I'm in pain, I need to be grateful a little bit more for the good that I have in my life, knowing that, how can I ever complain? And that's what they would want me to do. Yeah, so... I was going to say, let's say, you know, we didn't have social media or the news and we didn't know what was actually happening in Ukraine. Would you have still thought like, oh, are my problems still so small? No, I wouldn't. And the reason that we're in a generation and a time that social media is so strong and we're able to see all of these things, that is a message for me also. It never used to be like that, where everything is so in front of us. It's unless you bought the newspaper and you saw every, you wouldn't even see every video and every picture and every graphic detail of what's going on, you know? So the fact that we're in a time where we are seeing everything, so that means there's a message for the world, for every person that sees it. If you see it, there's a message for you. And sometimes the message is go and help if you can. Sometimes the message is do something, you know, be a little kinder. There's a, there's a prayer that we say before we pray that we're meant to say, which is that this was written by a big Kabbalist. And he said that when we do it, we, even though we're here, but our energy can be somewhere else. And what's the prayer that they say? That Arizal says, a person should always say before he starts his regular prayers in the morning, he should say, I accept on myself the mitzvah to love my fellow like I love myself. I accept on it. You have to meditate on this word, these words. That I accept on myself today, a new day. And I accept on myself the mitzvah to love. And that would cause an impact on the leaders, on different people. When my energy is in the world, it affects the animals. It affects the air. It affects the atmosphere. It affects humanity as a whole. Decisions that humans make can affect people at many faraway places. So that's what we believe. It's not only about helping financially. It's, there's other things that we can do as human beings that can uh, affect humans in other places. Okay, so one of the things that can eat us alive is the idea of Ayn Aran. You all gave brilliant ideas. I want to give you some uh, tips that I wrote. Everything you said was beautiful. I'm not saying that, it, that I'm saying something more. I'm just saying things that I wrote that you didn't say yet. Um, one of them is, if you see somebody that's successful and you feel a little pain in your heart, go to him and bless him. 
even if you don't fully mean it. Okay, go over to him and say, I'm so happy for you. I really hope that you are successful. So nice that you're going to be my neighbor, even if you don't fully mean it. Because the external has an effect on your internal. When you express something outside, it will actually have an impact on you how you, how you actually feel on the inside. So you can close your, your, your eyes and say, I'm so happy for him. You drive past the other guy that's doing well. I'm so happy for, her, for him. Yeah. Fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make it, exactly. There is an idea of fake it till you make it. And by the way, when we do this, when we, when we do this, we're actually told that the blessing will come back to you. Meaning what you want, the fact that you're blessing him for that three-story building and the pool, if that's really what you want, you'll get it too. So you're actually blessing yourself. You're really blessing yourself, yes. Again, no altruism. No, no altruism, but that's, that's, that's what's happening. Well, the blessing in itself, what you're receiving, is the fact that you're wishing well onto others, so you will relinquish that feeling of negativity that you're receiving. Exactly. Thinking about it. Exactly, you're getting rid of that negative feeling and you're bringing on yourself <laughs> that good energy. That is the problem that I, I see a lot of people within religious communities, whatever religion, they, they think that when you pray for something, you're going to receive it. And that's their argument for why God doesn't exist. But I believe that the whole act of prayer is building a relationship with God and with other people. Well, I have a whole discussion on prayer. And it's a whole class that I've given in the past. God doesn't need your prayers. That's, that's the first thing. He's infinite. He knows exactly what you need. And he knows what's best for you already. So how can we pray? There's a whole discussion. If God, according to us, is infinite, all-knowing, all-loving, and all-powerful, he can give whatever he wants. He knows exactly what you want. And he's all good. So then why is he not giving it to you? And why are you, how do you have the audacity to pray? Right? That's the question that I want to... Uh, why does he uh, like to be cherished? Well, there is a concept of that, uh, and that's to get that we should get closer to him. There is an idea of that, but mainly, and this is what Rabbi Albo, Rabbi Yosef Albo says, and many other commentaries, mainly the idea is for me to internalize my own growth. When I pray, I reflect on myself. It's for me. I'm really there through the prayer. It's a process of changing my inner self. That's really what does happen. And when I do change my inner self, I can now be a different vessel, a different person that can receive what I wanted originally, but I wasn't getting it. Okay, so uh, okay. So one thing is blessing the person that you see that is successful. Okay. Another thing is everyone kind of touched on this, which is ahavata briot. We're just talking about later hatred, working on loving people. How do you love people? No two people are alike. How do you love people a little more? You find what we call in Hebrew. You speak Hebrew. We find nekuda tova. What's that mean? The good spot. You find a good thing about this person. You know the story of the rabbi. He puts a, he sits in his class. He sees everyone's complaining. Puts a little mark on the paper. He says, "What do you guys see?" You know the story. He says, what do you guys see? So they say, what do you mean? What do we see? A little mark. He says, no. You... It's a white paper, a very big white paper, and a small little mark in the middle. So it's true that there are certain points about other people that bother us, but we have to find the nakudatova in people. Outside of the neighbor that comes and builds a house right opposite me. In general, 
what we call Ahavat Habriyot, loving people. And you should know, when, he, when somebody around you is successful, it's only going to benefit you. Most times it's only going to be better for you. If he's successful, so then he's going to, maybe he'll employ you. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll employ your friend. Maybe he'll, one day he'll employ your... His success should be a benefit for me. It's not, it's not a failure for me. What if he runs you out of business? So that, that's different. You know, there is... Right. What if he runs you out of business? Well, there are situations where people are evil. You know, we don't have to go even to a point where he opens a competing business. Let's say if he comes and, uh, you know, he sits outside your house and spray paints your house and does you know, acts of evil. You know, there, there are things... Where, well, you know, according to Halakha, it's a good point, by the way. According to Jewish law, a person should not, there's no, there's no official law that says you can't open a store right next door to someone else who has the same store. But it's kind of logical, right? it's, it's something which is ethical, that if someone is doing, is opening, a, is selling, a, you know, is the only one that's got a coffee shop on the street. What is the point of you, Starbucks, going and opening a coffee shop, shop next door? So, you know, there are times where it's not about sinau or ava. I'm talking about the general theme. Well, I'm talking about the general theme of loving people. Okay? If someone's out there to hurt me, then I'm not saying that you should be vulnerable and let them take advantage of you. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the general theme of believing that most people are good. That most people are not out there to hit me in the head. Most people are not... I don't like this theory that everyone's here to take advantage of you and everyone's here to hurt you. The inner belief that people, most people are good. If I see someone doing something wrong in my face, you know, I, then obviously then that I don't think oh, most people are good. You know, there's, there's a certain time where you have to actually understand some people are dangerous and some people are unhealthy. But I'm talking about as an overall theme. When you're alone, are you able to see good in people? And that's something that we need to work on in order to have uh, this thing of not fighting. It says, especially with the Jewish people, Kol Yisrael arevim zebaze. We are all intertwined with each other. Kol Yisrael arevim zebaze. By the way, that's why this guy in this story was able to trust a random person. It wasn't just in any country, but, but we have the same Torah, the same values. So there's all, almost like I know exactly what you're going to do. You're keeping Shabbat. You're going to take it home. And you're going, to, you're going to call me after Shabbat. It's not even a question that you're going to steal my car. Because we have the same values. I know the values that you live by. Okay, so it says that, especially within our own people, there's a certain element of trust. And we are all intertwined with each other. They say it's like somebody who's on a boat. And he's in his own little, whatever you call it, room? How do you call a room in a boat? What? Room? Uh, what do they call it? Cabin. Cabin, yeah. He's in his own cabin. I knew there was another word. The professor at the back. So, uh, so he's in his own cabin, and he starts drilling a hole in his cabin. And he says, what, what are you doing? Huh? Which uh, direction? Outwards. And the water, he's on the bottom floor. Well, he's on the bottom floor, and uh, I guess... I guess, oh, where he is. Okay, downwards. He's drilling a hole downwards on his boat, in his room. 
You hear the noise of drilling. What the, what's going on? You go into his, knock on his room. What are you doing? I'm drilling a hole. I want some water from the bottom. <laughs> you say to him, what do you mean? You can't do that. You can't do that. So what does he say? What does he say to you? Ah, it's, mine. it's my room. Who cares? Are you going to tell me what to do? We're all in this boat together. When I look at the world like that, then I have a different perspective that we're all here together. Your success is my success. It doesn't hurt on my success. Then I'm able to deal with the success of others. Okay? So, uh, okay, just a few other points. Stuff is not happiness. Just because someone has a lot of stuff does not mean that he's happy. We've seen this world. How much stuff do we need to accumulate to realize that stuff does not mean happiness? So just because someone has a house and, uh, you know, that doesn't mean that I should be uh, envious of him. Okay? And uh, the last thing is emunah, faith. Understanding and the belief that everyone has what they need in this world. Everyone gets what they need. You know the story of the horse? The horse, when he drinks from the water, kicks, you know that? Kicks the water. Why? Because he sees his reflection in the water. And the horse can't bear to see that someone is drinking from his water whilst he's drinking. (laughs) So he kicks it. But a human being knows that there's a huge river here. And the water that you're drinking or somebody else is drinking doesn't affect the water that I can also drink. If somebody's successful, doesn't mean that I can't be. There's enough for everyone to succeed in. One person's success doesn't mean another person's loss. So emunah is the understanding that we're all here for a reason. We're all here for a purpose. And everyone gets exactly what they need to get. And I'm happy with what I have. Okay? Okay, so the second thing he says is yetzahara. I'm going to say this quickly. Yetzahara, the evil inclination. The evil inclination. So God says that having an evil inclination was tov ma'od. He created the whole world. Vayar Elohim kitov. God saw it was good. And then it says by Adam he saw that it was very good. Tov ma'od. He said it was very good. And the rabbi said, why, why does it say very good? At the end of creation he created the whole world. God saw that it was very good. What's very good? Our rabbis say, the Midrash says, the evil inclination. When it says very good, it's the evil inclination. How come? The desire to be lazy. The desire to be angry. Hey, don't don't use this next time. Okay, but this is what it says. The desire to be angry. The desire to be jealous. The desire for hatred. Envy. All the things we're talking about. God saw that and said, it's very good. How come? How can it be very good? Because it makes us human. It makes us human. Think about this. Imagine we came into this, imagine we came into this world without any inclination to do bad. We'll come in and leave exactly the same. Nothing will be changed. We wouldn't have had a, a stepping stone for growth. So why was it good? Our rabbis explain, the Midrash explain. If somebody is able to overcome their inclination and use it for the better, then it's very good. 
And even those that don't. But as an overall thing, God saw, because by God there's no past, present and future. Everything's one. He saw that it was good. What does it mean? He saw it's very good. Because if we're able to channel our energy, which is what we were talking about, in the right way, it comes very good. So for instance, jealousy. That's not something you should have. But that energy could be channeled for good. How? It says, Kinat Sofrim the jealousy of those that are studious makes us wise. You see someone doing good, someone studying, giving charity. He says, oh, he gave. I also need to give. Right? The charity, charity campaigns online. Everyone's watching. He gave $100. That we get influenced by what other people do. So sometimes jealousy of the good that others do helps us. We could channel anger. Do you know what anger's to do with? Anger's to do with emotions, feeling. If you feel for things, you can get, like, feel about things a lot. You care about something a lot. You can get angry when it doesn't work out for you. Right? Because you care. So anger is to do with actual, it's actually to do with someone who has a lot of fire in him, a lot of care. But use that for something else. Use that energy of caring for something else, and you can. So there's many things. Every single bad trait, it says in, in, in the Talmud, Barati Barati Tavlin. I created the Yetzahara, the evil inclination, the inclination to do wrong. But I also created next to it the Torah as a spice. Why is it a spice? If you take a pot of food, soup, and you fill it with water and vegetables, and you cook it, what happens to the soup? It tastes all right, but you don't have salt. You need a bit of flavor. What does spice do? It doesn't change the food. It just gives that little flavor. You've got all the stuff in there, but the spice gives the flavor. That's what makes it all beautiful. That's how we should look at ourselves also. You were saying about suppressing. There are certain feelings that we have. We're not meant to suppress them. What we're meant to do is channel them for the better. Whether it's anger, jealousy. So that's how we deal with our evil inclination. But the evil inclination can take us out of this world. Desires can make us chase things for days on end and make us stressed about things for months on end. But it can hurt us eventually. Okay, somebody has a desire for food. You can channel that. Help people that need to eat. Right, just an example. Huh? <laughs> well, make food for them. It says that if somebody has a, a, a desire for blood, yes, you should either work with meat or surgery in a hospital. Come a doctor. That's see, see that is. That is exactly where you would think the opposite of what Judaism says. Judaism says, no, don't suppress that feeling. Because if you're able to channel a person in the right way from a young age, you see that that's where their energy is. If you're able to channel that energy in the right way, it can be used for tremendously good things. Yeah, that could be a good option. Yeah. Yes. We've discussed, you know, acceptance and using kind of these 
your inclinations to channel into something good? What if the inclination is to do something awful and terrible? Give me an example because that inclination can be used for good. People who are literal psychopaths. And oh. diagnosed <laughs> I'm serious. No, I'm thinking, I'm there are people who are diagnosed or people who have narcissistic right. personality disorder or people who are literal people who are <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't saying they're the exact same. Let's let's make sure that um but like people who genuinely have inclinations to do harm and to do bad and are physically unable or mentally unable to do good because that is literally how they're wired genetically. Okay, so this is where that last word that you said is where we would differ. What which is what that you said that they are wired genetically, they are wired genetically to be inclined this way, and we believe. Now, there may be very rarely somebody that's wired genetically to be from day one dangerous. They, at birth, they found their knife and they're like, hey, you know, like that that might happen, but but you know. Oddly specific, Rabbi. Yeah, I just, I just, sorry. Oddly. Excuse me, excuse me. I'll cut that out from the video. But, uh... I have a lot of follow-up questions. <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is that he... What was your name again? Ryan. Ryan. Ryan just said Putin, for example. Okay? Everyone's calling him a psychopath. That man is very skilled. He is a black belt, uh, or whatever it is, in judo. Yeah, it's all fake news. He fights a bear. He, uh, he's, he's a musician. He's actually a musician. He's extremely smart. He speaks English very well, even though he always gets a translator to make sure he speaks Russian. Uh, he's extremely learned. He's a very smart man. When you look at him and see what he's doing, you could say, psychopath. It's true. After what he's doing, he's channeling his energy in the bad way. But I believe that if at a young age, there is a certain point where someone becomes so engrossed. It says that when someone does something wrong and repeats it and repeats it, it comes normal for him. It says someone does an avera, vasapo, v'chazabo, and does it again, naselo keeter. It comes now aloud. It's like, it's good to do it. When someone does bad multiple times, they start, they start not only justifying it, but they actually say it's a good thing. So I, I believe that that's something that's built on. It's not that they become that way from day one, but it's the environment it could be. It could be many, many aspects that cause, and the proof is in the pudding. Look at the history and the surrounding of that person's upbringing. And you'll see around the upbringing, there was always some kind of trauma or some kind of experience that caused that person to get into that situation. It wasn't that they were born that way. Almost, almost every time. It was, you look at serial killers, and, or don't, but you look at stories of serial killers and all these types of people, you'll see that there's a, there's a repetitive behavior in all of them. And it's a lot to do with also their upbringing and surroundings. So if they, if they were able, if someone was able to channel that energy in a correct path, as opposed to having them playing Fortnite for hours on end, uh, you know, just an example. And then eventually it leads to Halo, 
That's already 20 years ago. But, uh, to, still going? And then it leads to the next game, the next game, and then it leads to real guns, you know? It, the question is, what are we channeling our children from a young age with, which leads them to this environment? Yeah. So, you mentioned, you know, the, the maybe 0.1% of people that are hardwired from day one, maybe there's the one toddler that decides to just, you know, right. do that. But if we're only the settlemental team, then why did Hashem create those people? Okay, so that's another, another question, which is the idea of why is it that we have people that are with certain disabilities, some mentally and some physically, in Jewish teaching, just in a nutshell, that's from the concept of Gilgul, which means that that person already did, in a previous lifetime, almost everything that they needed to do. And there's just one small thing that they need to come back to the world and do. And in order to minimize, minimize their free will, they are narrowed down to a certain position where they can't do that much, or their mind is not able to actually choose that much because of their disability. Okay, and according to us, we actually respect those types of people. They are very holy souls. There are rabbis that would stand for them. The Chazonish in Israel would stand when an uh, impaired person would come into his, into his room. He would stand up for him and show tremendous respect for someone that was uh, physically impaired. And the reason is because we believe that that person came back. Everyone, by the way, in our generation is a reincarnation. According to us, everyone's had a previous life at some point. We all come back into this world to fix something that we did or we need to do. And those that are impaired, their free will is much more narrowed down because they don't have much choice. They just have to do certain things to fill their purpose in this world. And some of them come back, whether it's mentally or physically. But some people are mentally unstable and they need to be closed up or looked at, watched over. In Hebrew, it will be called a shoteh. Not in a bad way. In the Talmudical terms, there are people that are cheresh shoteh katan. A katan is a young child that's not even aware of what he's doing yet. A shoteh is someone who's physically impaired and is unable to communicate his, his own expressions and feelings. Right? He's somewhat intoxicated. He's not in his own world, element. And by the way, when someone does something like you were saying, someone not physically impaired, but mentally impaired, where they're dangerous and they're genetically born that way, then they too need to be watched over. There needs to be someone that looks after and makes sure they are not liable. According to Jewish law, you can't take them to prison because they are not liable for the wrong that they do. The, the tibur, the congregation needs to watch over such a person and we as a whole are liable for that person. But that person himself is not liable if he goes and does some damage. You can't take, and that we do that in, in, in modern day court too. If, if criminally or civilly? Criminally. Okay. Right. Okay, so that's how we look at it also. We don't consider that person as a criminal. Okay. The last thing we said, makes sense by the way, Yetzirah takes a person out of this world, inclination to do bad. If we don't channel it for the right way, Last thing is hatred for people. How do we fix hatred for people was the last thing that we said. Takes us out of this world. It's kind of similar to having a bad eye, but it's the general feeling of animosity, hatred to others. How do we fix it? 
And why does it happen? Sinat chinam, hatred. Why does it happen? Because someone does something wrong to me. And I can't get rid of that pain. Question, how do we get... You have to understand, hatred is never for... Or at least, we think that hatred is never for no reason. I have good reasons to hate. But why does it happen? Someone called me, I'm driving down the road, and someone called me, Hey! Slow down! And I get annoyed with him. Okay, let's say. I get annoyed with him for screaming at me to slow down. So I, I have a good reason. He's shouting at me in public. I'm here. Well, okay, whatever. I went 30 miles an hour in a 10-mile zone. Whatever. <laughs> Calm down. And he's screaming at me. So I felt embarrassed and I start feeling hatred towards that person. So what do I do? How do I fix that? Hatred is always that I think in my mind, I have a good reason for this hate. If you ask anybody that has hatred, why do you hate that person so much? He'll tell you, I hate him because this, that, and the other, and I just, he needs to be hated. He's evil. He'll give you all the reasons. Hatred always seems to be that the person that hates has a good reason for it. But why, why do we hate? Okay, we're hurt because we have, we want revenge. Look, I want to tell you that most of our hatred comes because we don't speak it out. Interesting. This is Maimonides, who, by the way, went through a lot of hatred in his lifetime. A lot of love too. During the life of Maimonides, the Yemenite community, the whole community would add his name into Kaddish. Uh, they would add his name. Rav Moshe Beleelam in Kobe Chatavishirata, and they'd add the, I don't know, Yid Parach, Vishtabach, Vipan, they'd add his name into it. Rav Moshe Ben Maimon, they loved him so much. He had a lot of followers, but he had a lot of haters also, people that were jealous of him in his lifetime. And he says like this If you hate in your heart, you are transgressing a mitzvah in the Torah, which says, don't hate your brother in your heart. Which is very interesting. Because it's, how can you define that? It's a feeling that we're told not to have. It's one of the only places where we're told to remove an internal feeling. It's a commandment. Don't have hate in your heart. How can you control my heart? But it's a commandment. Maybe the commandment only talks about your actual brother and not necessarily... But it's one of the 613 mitzvot. It's very hard to define. Okay, we're going to finish right now. And it says you can't enforce such a thing because it's a feeling. But, and the Torah says that this is specifically about hatred in your heart. If you hit someone, that's another law. But hatred is a separate one that you have not to have hatred in your heart. Don't allow it to get into your heart. How do you fix that? When somebody does wrong to you, don't hold it in and keep quiet. Like we see with Avshalom and Amnon. Avshalom hated Tamar, hated Amnon and killed him. And how did he hate him? He didn't speak to him. He kept it quiet for months on end. It's that quiet neighbor. And he bottled it in. And eventually that's what happened. So what's the mitzvah? Part of the mitzvah of not hating someone is to tell him. Why did you do that to me? You should know in a nice way. 
by the way, that really hurt my feelings. And most times, by the way, if someone hurts your feelings and you go up to them, you say, I know you didn't mean this, but it really, it really hurt me. And that person will say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I never thought it would. You can solve so many problems by just going over to the person and say, it hurt my feelings. That hurt me. And it can solve tremendous issues and mainly can solve the hate that's in your heart, which can eat you alive and make you old, like we say. Okay? So you could say to him, Why did you hurt me in such and such a way? As it says that there's another mitzvah in Judaism, that we should rebuke our friends if they do wrong. In a nice way. Not make him hate, but do it in a friendly, in a private manner, where he's not in front of other people. And you'll see that both he will forgive you, he will ask you for forgiveness, he'll say sorry, and you'll be able to remove it completely from your heart, and you will be able to uh, forgive. He says also, a, f- a person that forgives should not be cruel. And say, ah, right, the person that's asking you, please, I'm sorry. No, no, that's it, I'm done. I'm not going to forgive you. Once a person asks you for forgiveness, you're told that you should forgive them, even the worst person. If they come to you and they sincerely ask you forgiveness, we should be a forgiving people and forgive them. Okay, so those are the three things that takes a person out of this world in a spiritual sense. What are they? Looking at people in the wrong way. Evil inclinations, not channeling my inclinations in the right way. Not dealing with my inclinations and channeling them for the good. Like my jealousy, my hatred, my anger. You can channel all of those things. Every single, that's why in Hebrew, by the way, your personality is called a midah. Your character in Hebrew is called midah, which means measure. Because your character needs to be taken into measure, whether good or bad. And lastly, hatred for other people is something that we want to avoid. And how do we avoid it? By speaking it out. If you have any hatred or animosity, someone hurt you, they hurt your feeling, you can go over to them and speak to them in a private way, in a respectful manner, and normally they will forgive you. Um, before we finish, Izzy, you had a question? Yeah, it, I, I thought it was they have to come to you for forgiveness three times. On the third time, you have to No, if, well, if they come to you, the person that's asking for forgiveness, when he hears the person say no, he needs to go again and ask forgiveness three times. The person that's asking for forgiveness, but the person that's being asked, he needs to forgive straight away. If he sees that the, the, the question is sincere, he should forgive straight away. Okay? If somebody doesn't forgive after three times, he's considered cruel at that point. Okay? But in general, the person that's asking for forgiveness, he needs to know. I should ask for forgiveness one time. Two times, three times. After that, okay, it's his problem now. It's not my problem. I asked already three times. But the, the person that's asked to be forgived, uh, the, 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 sorry, the, the forgiver, he should be forgiving straight away at least. Try at least to be forgiving the first time. By the way, if he passes away, someone hurts you and they pass away. Also, you shouldn't have hate in your heart. What do you do? You take a minion and you go to the, the burial site. And you ask him forgiveness there as well. And because the, at that point he's with just a soul, 
we are convinced that he's going to forgive you for sure straight away. Yes? Is it an absolute thing that if a person comes to you and asks for forgiveness, you need to forgive him? It's not, no, it's not, it's not absolute. In a case where, thinking, for example, it's not sincere. If the filter will come up somehow to me and ask forgiveness, or not just to me, to any other Jew, ask forgiveness for killing his family. Of course not. But yeah. it's not sincere. Say he was sincere. Say he took the right pill that made him right in his mind. <laughs> so then it was the pill. You know what? That wasn't me. I was just crazy earlier and something like that. We have a... Okay. The, that question is unrealistic and I'll tell you why. Uh, yeah, but it's the extreme to prove a point. I mean, I'm sure there are, there are other situations... But there are situations where a human being can find it impossible to forgive, but God will forgive. For instance, taking someone's life so the family member can never forgive that. It could be situations where that could be very, very hard to forgive. God can forgive. But as a whole, the, the, the objective should be to forgive. If that person is sincere, and you know that that person is sincere, let's say he sat in prison for 20 years, and he really is sincere, then for your benefit, the goal isn't that I should be right. The goal is that this world should be a better place, that we leave this world as a better place. Okay, and if that person asks me and he really hurt me in any way, in an ideal world, you're meant to forgive. If, but if he's sincere, there's times where you're not meant to forgive. When he's not sincere. Okay, when he's not changed. When he's not changed his path. It's necessary that it's, uh, it will be sincere about it, and it also it, yes, changed. That is an indication of sincerity. Because that, the, the second one, you know, going back to what you said earlier, that he said 20 years in prison. Let's assume he did not sit 20 years in prison yet. He came to you and said, I stole from you about $2 million that caused you not being able to pay your medicines or whatever it is. Did he pay you back? And he burned it on drugs and whatever it is. Then he comes back to you and he doesn't want you to snitch on him. You will go to jail and he's like, I'm asking forgiveness. That's a theft and he needs to pay that money back. He needs to do teshuvah on that theft. Until then, you cannot forgive Yes. You're, you're not required to forgive him. Okay, you have to understand, everything's very clear. I, I want to know. Yeah. If he's given, if he's improved and he's proven it and he's given the money back, uh, then he's accepted, then you can forgive him. Yeah. By the way, we finished. So no, no. Thank you. Thank you.